We've had a great conversation today with Bettina Smith Edmondson. She made history as the first black person to sit on the Layton City Council after her election this last November. Her focus is connecting people and building bridges. It's a great time. Can't wait for you to take a listen. Let's get proximate. We're back here on First Lady and Friends, and I am just really thrilled to introduce to you a new friend to me um, that I met, I think, last fall, and um, she's just become a friend, a dear friend, and I've, I've watched her and, and the things that she's doing. I've been so impressed. Um, her name is Bettina Smith Edmondson, and um, she's here with us to talk about a lot of things, but um, let's first talk about how we first met um, it was when you were running for Layton City Council. Yes, Layton. <laughs> we had this conversation about whether it's Layton or Layton. And I grew up saying Layton and she's from there and she says Layton. So we're going to go with that. <laughs> but everybody else says Layton. So it's OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we first met um, because I was running for Layton City Council. And, um, you know, we have a mutual friend slash acquaintance in Ben Hart. And so he kind of made an introduction and we had an opportunity to meet. So I got to go to the governor's mansion and just had a lovely time, you know, hanging out and meeting you and your friends and new friends and just talking about what I was doing, you know, what caused me to run or, or made me think I should even try to run. And just talking about experiences and uh, how I got to where I am. And so that was our first introduction. And I think it was fall. Yeah. I'm trying to think exactly when. I don't remember the date. But yeah, I believe it was in the fall before football was in full effect. Yes. I know that much. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But yeah, so it was right in the middle, I'd say. I think it was in the middle of the campaign. So primary had already taken place. And we were gearing up for the general election. So yeah. Yeah, and um, it was it was so fun to 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 meet you and hear your story. So I thought it would be a great uh, you'd be such a great podcast uh, guest, and we can talk about some of those things that we that we talked about before. So let's just go back to you. You grew up in Layton. Um, tell me about your background, how you grew up. Tell me a little bit about your family members and and all that kind of those kinds of things. Okay, let's do it. So my parents. Um, my parents are from Mississippi originally, and they grew up in Mississippi in the 60s, so you can imagine how all of that was such a great time. And um, they ended up moving to Utah to attend graduate school. So both my parents went to Utah State, so they're Aggies. Go Aggies. Yeah, go Aggies. And um, my mom never anticipated that they would be living here indefinitely, but to this day, they're still here. <laughs> And um, so because of that, myself, my two younger brothers, we are all born and raised here in Utah. And so Layton is where I'm from, and that's where I grew up. And, you know, it was quite surprising, I think, for a lot of people um, to know that I was from here. Um, For those of you who don't know on the podcast, I'm an African-American female, and I was born and raised in Layton, Utah. And so that kind of caught people off guard a little bit, but it's my story. And so to me, it's regular, it's normal. Um, So my parents, they moved here to go to school, ended up staying here, raising a family, both retired from the Air Force Base as civilians. Uh, My mom, she's an engineer. 
by trade and did a lot of things up on the base. Ended up being one of the highest level women on the base at the time when she retired. My dad was in computer science and did a lot of F-16 simulations. So I remember, you know, going to his office as a kid and playing with the video game, you know, with my quote fingers <laughs> up because that's what it looked like to me, you know, before we actually had real video games, you know, we had a joystick and he was doing simulations. So um, I come from a background of people where faith is super important and education. So those two things, faith in God and you're, you know, you've got it set, you've got it made. And so I always grew up with that thought that I can do anything, I can be anything, I can go anywhere. You know, as long as I have those two things key, I'm good. And so um, growing up in Utah was different, um, I would say, for a lot of people. It was all that I knew, so it wasn't necessarily different for me, but I was different, yeah. you know. Um, what I had in common with most people, though, was my faith. And so even though our faith wasn't the same, it was very ingrained in me that, you know, this is who you are, this is who you serve, this is your, these are your beliefs. And so I had many uh, conversations um, growing up in elementary school with friends and I would say healthy debates because they didn't back down and I didn't either. And so I grew up being very confident and really, you know, had a good experience um, all along. Um, I did go to a private school when I was very, very young, from like two till about nine years old through my church. And so, you know, I had that initial educational upbringing, but then ended up in Davis County School District. And so, um, you know, growing up in Layton for us was, it was fine. It was life. It was, you know, playing with your friends, learning your neighbors, riding your bike, you know, around the block, just like everybody else. It was, it was a life and it was a good life. And so I'm very fortunate to have grown up in the time that I grew up in with the parents I grew up with and just the values that they instilled in me and in my brothers, you know, we were very fortunate. And um, I hear my mom say this often about her family. She came from a family of 15 children. Wow. Yeah. I say that every time I think about that. I'm like, wow, my grandmother, bless her heart. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 15, um, 14 living. One died when she was just a few a few days old. But she grew up with, you know, 14 of them in a home. And she thought her family was just like everybody else's. And that's how I was. You know, my brothers and I, we grew up thinking that this was regular. This was normal. You know, everybody has this type of family. We have both of our parents. They work. You know, they take care of us and we do our thing. And it wasn't until I was older that I realized that's not the norm for everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, that everybody doesn't have the same upbringing. Everybody doesn't have the same base. You know, not everyone has both parents, all of those things, you know, in their life. And so just looking at everything that we had, super huge blessing, you know, and it helped me to appreciate even more what I have. And I say have because, you know, they're still living and I'm so thankful for that. But it helps me to appreciate them. And I think because of that, I'm able to do what I do now. I was able to decide on a whim that I was going to run for city council, you know, but having a support system and having that 
basic upbringing, you know, faith, family, education, those things were super important. Wow. So did your parents, do they talk about um, maybe the differences in, in living in Mississippi versus in Utah? I imagine there's some, well, especially in the 60s, um, there's some stories, maybe not great stories. Maybe there were, I don't know, what what kinds of experiences do they share with you? So my, my mom would share more experiences about probably the climate and the culture um, than my dad would. But, you know, I vividly remember my mom talking, and she'll even bring this up to this day, how growing up she could see crosses burning mm-hmm. on, you know, lawns. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely grew up in segregated South, obviously, at the time. That's what it was. Um, she was the valedictorian for her high school, mm-hmm. and it was, I believe it was the, she graduated in a year where they had just desegregated, I believe. She may have to correct me on that, but she went to an all-girls school because when they desegregated, they didn't want the black boys in school with the white girls. And oh, so they had all-girls school and all-boys school when they desegregated in her city. And so she vividly remembers, you know, a number of things. I'm sure my dad does as well. He just doesn't talk about it as much. Um, but one thing that my mom always told me when I was younger, and this is something that may be jarring to people, but it's just kind of a norm in um, my community, I would say, that we had to be better in the sense more educated, smarter than the other students because we were going to have to work harder to get the same thing that they got. Right. And so that was just something that, you know, we grew up hearing and knowing mm-hmm. and it wasn't to be racist. It wasn't to be different. It was just the facts that they knew from growing up, yeah. you know, um, because people will assume just by looking at you that you don't know or you're not smart or you don't have or you can't do. Mm-hmm. And so she always taught me, I don't know if she told my brothers, I'm certain she told them too, <laughs> but but I know, you know, she told me, you've got to be smarter, you know, you've got to do more, you've got to do this and that. Right. And you so work harder, mm-hmm. you've got to be more. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's incredible. I, I think, and, and what a, what an incredible history to, you know, she's got a wealth of, of his history to, to tell, which I think is kind of beautiful. Um, uh, let's. I want to continue this conversation about um, about you and your experiences when we come right back. We're back here with Bettina Smith Edmondson, and I am just thrilled to have you here. You've become a dear friend, and and these. I want to get into talking about some of these um, things. Uh, we're, we're celebrating Black History Month, which I know um, has some. People have feel differently about it, and, and frankly, for me, it, it's a beautiful time to celebrate. I know that sometimes people say, "Well, you know, I'm black all the all the time," so it, we need to be celebrating that history. And I believe that's true too. I believe that we should always celebrate um, the the best uh, people that we see, the people that have gotten us where we are. Um, I think there's so many people that have opened my eyes to 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 some blind spots that I've had. And so I, I do appreciate that um, and, a, and a time to really reflect and think on that. But let's talk about what it, first of all, what does this 
this celebration mean to you? And second of all, let's get into um, you're you're from Davis County. You grew up in the Davis County School District. Um, I would there's been a DOJ report that that came out, and I've been working personally with with the school district on on some of these issues, and and so I just kind of like to get your perspective on that as well. Sure. So Black History Month. Um, first and foremost, you know, because of who my parents are and what they taught us, you know, um, I've known about black history and my history, you know, from a child, from a young, young child. My parents were a part of this group on base that would go out to elementary, junior high, high schools, even the juvenile detention centers, and they would portray um, African-Americans from history. Um, Dr. Jackie Thompson, she was in that group, you know, um, one of my sorority sisters, um, Reverend Denise Elbert, she was in that group, you know, a number of people um, that used to participate in that. And so, again, as a kid, I would go along, you know, even if I was in school, they would check me out sometimes and I would go and watch them portray these African-Americans from history. Um, not always the ones we always hear, right? You know, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, which are great, but, you know, Benjamin Banneker and, you know, um, we talked about the Buffalo Soldiers, you know, who actually have history here in Utah. You know, I think it's important for not to just say, oh, it's Black History Month, so let's talk about black history, but to realize that, as you mentioned, you know, black history is all the time. It's American history because we're here and, you know, we all can celebrate all the things that we've done together to help build the country, um, regardless of the things that were great, the things that were not so great. It's okay. Just embracing who we are all together, I think, will help us go further. You know, And I think that's something that right now it's a little contentious. And I wish it wasn't, you know, because it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Everybody, if you look in your own personal life, there may be some things that you – don't like things that you did when you were in college that you don't like, but they make you who you are now. And so you don't just say, well, forget about those. We're not going to talk about that. It didn't happen. It did happen, but it helped you. You can move past it. You can move on from it and you can share that, you know, with somebody else and you can tell them, hey, yeah, I, I screwed this up, but let me tell you how I got over it. Let me tell you how I moved past it. And so I see that that's kind of the way I take, you know, the issue with learning about history. You can't really change it. So embrace it, talk about it, acknowledge it, and then let's learn and move forward. Um, You know, I think it's always surprising to see somebody's face when they learn that there were black people in Utah before the Mormons settled here. They're like, what? (laughs) It's like, yes, there were. You know, there's a lot of history that we just don't talk about. And I think it's important to elevate that. Um, I like what the jazz is doing, and I don't know if they've coined this or not, but taking February and coining it as Black Experience Month, Mm -hmm. because you can weave your history into the entire year, and you should, because Black history is American history, which is, you know, one of the tags that I use, you know, when I'm posting things. There's so much that people just don't know about, you know? I mean, you've got Charles Drew. Um, You've got Rebecca Lee Crumpler, the first African-American physician to be licensed in America. That was in the 1800s, you know, before we had these laws that, you know, you could even vote. And so there's so much richness in our history, and I feel like it should be celebrated. Just like all of the other nationalities and races that are here, we all work together to build and to create what America is. 
And it's beautiful. And I think we can all learn something from that. Yeah, I I agree. And it's so you've said it so beautifully. And and I I just think celebrating diversity and celebrating our unique past and history and getting like you said, getting acknowledging the hard things that are in our past and, and, and moving forward and, and really embracing each other as, as human beings and moving forward, but also recognizing that there's uniqueness, uh, and and it's beautiful. Um, when we talk, we were talking off air a little bit about the idea that we feel like in a lot of ways, um, our country progressed to a point and then, and it feels like in the last several years, things have slid backwards. And I don't, I, there's, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but what are you seeing right now, you know, versus maybe what you you think your children or, or, or the children that are in schools right now are experiencing maybe in Davis County that, that maybe you didn't, or, you know, what were, I guess what's the comparison between what you experienced and what folks are experiencing now? Sure. So I can speak, you know, of course for myself, because that's who I can speak for. Um, I do know that there were some people who experienced different things than I did. But most of all, when I grew up and went to the Davis School Districts, you know, I went to elementary school there, junior high and high school. Um, I will preface this by saying in elementary, my brother and I were the only black kids in the elementary school. Um, That being said, um, I didn't experience or feel as though I had you know, uh, an issue with race while I was there. Um, again, as I spoke before, you know, I grew up from coming from a very confident household. And so my parents taught me to speak up for myself, stand up for myself, you know who you are. And I was pretty tall. And so people probably, you know, thought, oh, I'm not going to mess with that girl, which worked out, you know, for them and for me, because I also could get spicy with my words. Um, but... <laughs> I will say that as I went through junior high and high school, I did not get the sense that there was a a push back for learning about my culture. Mm. And I distinctly remember in junior high, I had, well, I'll, I'll go back to my elementary, my sixth grade elementary teacher, um, Mr. Talbot, he had us, we, we did songs, we did musicals. To fame, we did. Um, you know, we had to put on productions, and he was very out of the box. And so, I believe that having those type of teachers was helpful. So that's elementary at Sarah Jane Adams Elementary. Okay, junior high school. I remember one of my teachers. I can't remember his name right now, but he had us watch the movie Glory mm-hmm. in class. Now, Glory, I had seen many times. We owned it, right? It was in my house. So I seen this movie. There was another black kid in my class. His name was Jermaine. And the two of us were in the class and we're watching Glory in the class mm-hmm. full of non-black kids. Yeah. <laughs> and I was looking at him and he was looking at me and we were both like, oh, my gosh, we're like sitting here watching this movie. And at the end, you know, the teacher, I give him so much credit for one, showing the show, showing the film, having the discussion, talking about this is what happened and you know the civil war this is what it was about this is who actually fought this is the story of this you know battalion and 
But Jermaine and I, we we were in like seventh grade and we were like, whoa, this is heavy that we have to deal with in this yeah. class with these children, right? So there were kids coming up to us apologizing for what their ancestors had done to us. And we both were like, oh, it's okay. Hey, you know, yeah. let's not yeah. let's not talk about it. We're fine, you know. But the openness of being able to have that dialogue, as I got older, I realized how important that was, how crucial that was. And even though I didn't recognize the gravity of it at the time, and, you know, obviously we're teenagers, so we didn't know how to really handle it. That was pivotal, I think. And I feel like today a teacher may have to send a note home or something before they can show a film like that. And I feel like that's unfortunate because, again, realities and reality is what it is. Talk about it. It's okay. You know, it's not going to harm you to have a discussion. It's not going to harm you to dialogue, you know, and I think it can better serve your kids in the long run because they'll be able to talk about things that are hard. Yeah. Nobody likes to do it. Well, some people do, but (laughs) people generally don't like to talk about hard things. But when you teach your children how to do that, it makes their life so much better in the future. Mm. You know, they're going to be a better spouse. Let's start there, right? If they can have a hard conversation, you're going to be a better spouse because communication is the biggest thing, you know, that helps our marriages, et cetera. So, yeah. Oh, I love that, that thought about, um, this, this being going through the hard things and having those hard conversations to be better people. Um, I think that's, you know, I, I participated in a, in a group called, um, rethink racism and, and it was hard. I mean, it was, I, I came away kind of shook and being like, Ooh, there's some stuff I, I need to think through. And, and, but I guess for me, it was always listen, listen first, listen to people's experiences first. And and that's why I really appreciate you sharing because, um, I think as, as we, as we listen, we can learn. And I know when, when George Floyd was murdered and, and all the uproar that happened around that, I remember thinking, I just want to talk to people who've experienced this. And that's kind of what we did. And it just helped me to, to be more understanding, to help me to have those hard conversations um, and really check myself and check my own blind spots and check, you know, have I said something that hurt somebody? Have I thought about something is there is there a a cultural piece in me that that didn't learn you know because because I grew up in rural Utah in a sheltered place where I literally had almost zero I don't think I ha- I mean I think there was maybe one uh black boy in our he African American that was in our school but he was adopted by a white family so it wasn't a black family living there that i that i knew and and things like that so it was a very different experience for me growing up and i love hearing your experiences cuz it makes me better so um let's let's continue this conversation um i want to get into your experience running for office and we'll come right back we are back here with Bettina Smith Edmondson and she uh we're talking 
about all these hard issues. Um, but let's let's talk about running for office. Uh, what inspired you? What you know? Who who inspired you? Maybe or who who helped you to make that decision? Um, I just we talk about women running for office. We talk about usually how many times somebody has to ask a woman to run before she does, and just wondered what your experience is as, as you decided to run. Okay, so my story is kind of an anomaly. Um, I maybe had thought in the back of my head about running for office, maybe at some point in my life. Um, never had I thought about city council or mayor, or any of those kinds of things. Um, and my kids were signed up for swimming. My husband hates when I tell this story, by the way. <laughs> but <laughs> they were signed up for swimming, and I was checking their schedule. And on the website, I saw there were two um, city council positions open. There was only one candidate at the time, and this was a Friday afternoon. Filing deadline was Monday at 5 p.m. Mm. And I thought... This cannot be the case. I was like, clearly something's wrong. This isn't right. Let me double check. So I double checked, and that was the case. So I, my dad had a fraternity barbecue at his house that weekend, and so we were there. I was talking to my friends, talked to my husband, and I'm like, I think I'm going to run for city council. And he's like, okay, do it. Talk to my friends, you know, at the barbecue, and they're like, you should do that. That would be so great. And I'm like, yeah, I think I will. I think I'm going to run. You know, I'm like, I live in Leech, and I'm from here. I think I'm going to run. And so Monday rolls around. Um, I work from home. So, you know, kids were there, put them down for their nap. My husband was working at home at the time also, and I said, okay, I got to go down to the city and apply for city council with my quote fingers up. Um, I understand fully the process of running for office, <laughs> but I tell people God had blinders on me to the point where I'm like, oh, I'm going to go go fill out my application right for city council. <laughs> so I got down there and the recorder handed me a packet and the packet was a lot thicker than I anticipated. <laughs> and I looked at it and I said, oh, my goodness, in my head. And I had to go to the car and get some things. And as I walked to the car, I'm like. Uh, I could just leave. <laughs> this is a really thick packet. This is probably more than I anticipated, more than I think I, I, you know, I may be biting off more than I can chew here. But something was like, nah, go in there. You're here. Go ahead and do it. So filled out my packet, turned in my, my paperwork and paid my filing fee and told myself I've done a lot. Uh, I've done a lot less with $25 in my life because the filing fee was only $25 and went back home. And I was like, what did I just do? You know, um, I texted a few of my my sorority sister friends who have experience, you know, running for office. Um, one is um, in the House of Representatives currently, Representative Hollins. And I text three individuals and I said, I just did something and I'm freaking out. <laughs> And, you know, I told them what I did and they replied, of course, they were so excited for me and just like, oh, you can do this. You've got this. You know, you're going to do great. This is so awesome. So such encouragement. Um, And I will tell you off and on, you know, I would freak out every other couple of hours, I'm sure, because I didn't like I said, I didn't plan to do this. And 
most people run for office, they plan it at least six months, right? And they have things in play. They have things lined up. They've, you know, put together all of the things that they plan to do, what they want to change, um, all of these things. But really what pushed me, aside from God and the blinders, was I looked at the makeup of the council, and there was one woman on the council. Our mayor is a female, Joy Petro, and um, Don Fitzpatrick was the only woman on the council. And there were four men. They were all white. Um, and I thought, you know, Layton, I live here. You know, I'm like, this may not represent us fully. Um, I wasn't disgruntled. There wasn't something that I thought, oh, I've got to come and make a huge difference but I thought more representation would be good. You know, let's do this. And so from then on, things just started falling into place. You know, I had choice meetings, chance meetings, um, all kinds of things just started lining up. And I was like, okay, God, we're doing this. All right, we're doing it. <laughs> and step by step, things just started happening. And, you know, I, I'm grateful. You know, when I made it through the primary I was hopeful and expectant, but I didn't want to be overly confident because you still got to push, you know, and thankfully we made it through and I was just, I'm still in awe, right? I still don't understand fully the gravity of this role, um, but I'm grateful to be there. And, you know, we've been in for a month and a half, almost two months now, and doing the work and the council is great. You know, like you said, we have a rock star of a council, the mayor, the council members, everybody is just really awesome. And so I'm so grateful to have been there. You know, I have a lot of stories about the campaign trail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, can, we can get into that <laughs> at another time or maybe today. But yeah, it was it was definitely tough, definitely hard work. But I'm grateful that we made it. And I say we because it was we, you know, I didn't have a huge team. There were like my family and three people outside of my family that were the core. And then I had, you know, volunteers that were just so gracious mm-hmm. and, you know, awesome knocking doors, doing whatever, whatever needed to be done. So, yeah. So let me ask you this. What do you, what do you wish people knew about running for office? Okay. So there are a couple of things. One, one, I want to speak on a, the lens of being a woman running for office. So for women running for office, I want people to know that running for office is very expensive. Yeah. And I think um, that is something that probably has kind of boxed people out for a long time. And, you know, people say, like you said, that there are a lot of people, a lot of women who get asked to run for office many times before they do it because it's daunting. Um, But most importantly, it's expensive. And, you you don't know that until you get in there and you have to pay for a mailer that's going to however many thousands of households. Um, and I think that's partly why a lot of politicians or people who are in office, you know, they work for themselves or they are, you know, business owners. Um, they have money because they need money to pay for these things. And that was something about my campaign 
that I think was surprising to a lot of people is that I had support from other people. I, I'm not rich. You know, I didn't have money just sitting aside that I thought, oh, I think I'll run for office today and I'm going to fund it fully by myself and here's where the money's coming from. And that's something that's daunting. But I will say that there are people out there who want to see you. So if you're thinking about running, if you have, you know, an idea or you want to make a difference, you want to serve, there are people who are grateful that you want to serve and they will put their support behind you. Um, The other thing is people who are in public office have families and lives as well. And that's something that sometimes I struggle because I have toddlers, I have a three-and-a-half-year-old and a a five-year-old, and I work a full-time job, and I have a full-time husband that I tell people, and I (laughs) I support my my church and, you know, a lot of things that I do. And sometimes, you know, I have to go somewhere, and my kids are with me. And in the beginning, I'm still in the beginning, but in the beginning, beginning, I felt, oh, you know, I have this meeting, and and my three-year-old is over here, my five-year-old, they're throwing things at each other, and... But I, I'm learning to embrace that because that's reality. And I think that helps other people see this is a real person who has a real life. And, you know, you're a mom, but you're also working. You're also a public servant. And so you're doing all that you can do. And sometimes I have to say no to things, you know, and that's okay. But just letting people know that you're a real person, you have real priorities, real life, and, you know, this is not just a haphazard situation. This is not something that you just decided to do on a whim, even though it seems like I did. Um, but there are things that go into place there, into play there. And, you know, we're all human. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the idea that you are bringing your children and people see that. And I think we need to make that more normalized. I think we need to see it in the workplace. I think we need to see it. At a meeting, I think we need to see it at a, you know, a city council meeting that you, you, I think moms in general think they, you know, and and maybe there are times and seasons for different people and and we all have to make that decision for ourselves. But, but um, I think we as a community need to support a decision of someone that decides to run and and make it normal to see a five-year-old in the, you know, at the meeting. (laughs) So I absolutely love that you did that. Um, Bettina, this has been just such a delight for for me and and I know for our listeners. And you've again, you've become a dear friend, and I so appreciate you being here. And I continue to learn from you, and so I so appreciate that. So thank you again for for spending your time with us here today. Thanks for having me. It's been great.